2: Hey, everybody. This is Matt Minnick from Cincy Jungle, and you are listening to Shock Talk, brought to you by New Era Hats. My guest today is Andre Parada, here to talk to us about the salary cap and the new CBA. Andre, how are you doing today?
1: Uh, I'm doing great. Thanks, Matt. How are you?
2: Good. Now, uh, we were talking a little bit before you uh, before we started recording here. Um, you know, we're recording this on Wednesday night. Most of your Probably hearing it on Thursday. Maybe you're hearing it after that, that. But if you're if you're hearing it before Thursday night, we were talking about uh, this schedule release coming up and uh, hoping hoping to get some primetime games and definitely some some options on the table for it. You've got Andy Dalton's return to Cincinnati could you know bear a little intrigue. You've got uh, uh, matchups against Justin Herbert and Tua Tagovia uh Tigovaloa uh excuse me uh i guess i don't have to be able to pronounce it now but uh <laughs> uh so i mean there's some there's some interesting ones in there i wonder uh wonder if the Bengals uh get that um you know that, that that's shot at monday night at sunday night or something i mean also two matchups against baker mayfield you know so number one quarterback versus number one quarterback uh yeah what do you what do you think's the best shot at getting a primetime game
1: uh, yeah, I think a division game may uh, maybe a good shot. They had Pittsburgh on the road last year for their only uh, primetime game. They didn't have a Thursday night game, but that was a Monday night game at Pittsburgh last year. I believe it was week four. And I think they gave up about eight sacks or something ridiculous to, to the Pittsburgh defense. Um, so maybe a division game. But what I've read today, you're right, the schedule is supposed to come out tomorrow. But what I've read today is that they're going to schedule the division games later in the season. And they're going to schedule the uh, interconference games, um, or I guess the cross-conference games, however we de- mm-hmm. d- uh, define it, uh, during the first four weeks. So that would be, you know, the NFC East this year for the Bengals and the rest of the AFC North. And yeah. I think th- from that division, they go to Philadelphia and to Washington.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think maybe, like we talked about before we recorded, as you mentioned, Matt, I think Joe Burrow was good enough to get them, you know, let's assume they, get, they do get a Thursday night <laughs> game this year. I think Burrow is good enough to get them probably one more primetime game, probably a, a Monday night game, maybe a Sunday night game, but more than likely a Monday night game. Uh, as, you know, Sunday night is kind of taken over as the premier uh, primetime broadcast for the league. But, you know, just based on the much, fact much that much better broadcast uh, crew. <laughs> yep. Even even with all the changes that are still ongoing with the Monday night crew, you're right. Um, but but to answer your question, I think maybe early on, if what was reported today is true, that the first uh, four weeks would be all assigned to the the, the opposite conference games, um, and assuming they they end up being played with what's going on with the pandemic, but maybe and maybe you know the Monday night opening weekend is the doubleheader, and that first game is n- not really just a marquee matchup in terms of. Um, how the teams really fared the year prior, although sometimes it is. But I remember one year it was the, 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 the lead game, just because I live up here in Michigan, it was the Jets at Detroit. And the Lions, I think, may have come off a playoff season. Actually, no, they were bounced from the playoff the year prior uh, from losing to the Bengals, that one home game that they lost late in the season oh. to, at Cincinnati. And they played uh, Sam Darnold, I believe. Um, Sam Darnold was a, it was his rookie season. That may have been an, it may not have been opening weekend, but it was an early season Monday night game. So you know maybe you have the intrigue of Cincinnati at Washington. It's you know the first pick in this year's draft versus the second pick in Chase Young, and then you have obviously the Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow uh, storyline of sure, Burrow sure. not sure. being able to beat out Haskins. So I, I don't know. Maybe that's just too much of the orange black colored uh, glasses <laughs> on, but. Maybe opening day, uh, that that early time window, the seven o'clock Monday night game at Washington. Who knows? And, and the Redskins do, even though they've had down years, they do have still kind of a national draw, I would think. Although not what it once was, of course. But you know, maybe that that opening window of the first week of Monday night, bangles at Redskins. Who knows?
2: Yeah, it could be interesting. I, I think if you start off that way, it's a pretty good way to start the season. I think. Um, you know, coming in, you know, presumably with a rookie starting at quarterback, uh, I think you're looking at two games that are going to be really tough and two games that are really winnable playing the NFC East. Um, and you know, I, I think you're gonna you're gonna take some knocks from from Dallas and Philadelphia um, that early, but it it could be uh, you know it, it could be interesting. I, and I think that they've got a really good shot uh, beating New York and, and Washington. And even at that point when, you know, the, the playbook may not be completely installed and you don't have quite all the film and everything. Uh, I still think those are, those are winnable games to, you know, come out of September two and two, uh, after playing those teams, I think you're, you're doing pretty good with that. Uh, and a, and a rookie quarterback.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think the those with those four op- opponents as you laid out, Matt, but that, that would be the li- if if Vegas sets a line, I think they'd be obviously uh, underdog against Dallas and Philly, and then probably even underdogs in, in against the uh the Giants and Washington just to be honest, but I think the Giants and, and Redskins games do present themselves as the most winnable. Although really as you know, the NFL even if those are the first four depending on the order if they're the first four games, I mean, the league is such a a week to week league. You have injuries, you know, season ending sure. injuries, injuries sure. that keep key players out for a few games. Uh, matchups, of course, are always huge. So it really is a week to week league. So it is tough to prognosticate. But I do agree that uh, those would probably be the the likely outcomes of the of 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 that four game stretch.
2: It'd probably be good to get the Eagles before number one, Jim Jim Schwartz gets film on Joe Burrow. And number two, yep. uh, the Eagles figure out what they're doing with Jalen Hurts. Uh, <laughs> this is the yeah. the Bengals. Well, I, I, although you know what, that might be a good warm up for for Lamar. You know, you, you only get a few cracks at it uh, if they if they do try and work in Hurts in a um, oh, geez, what's the guy from the Saints, Taysom Hill, sort yeah, of they're, role they're, like like they yep. like they're saying. I could see that. Um, you know, it might be good to to get a look at that, even if it is just five plays or something. Uh, before facing Lamar, just to kind of get a, get a feel for it, get used to it. Cause obviously, you know, Ryan Finley on the scout team isn't giving you quite the same athleticism that Lamar Jackson's is giving you. So <laughs> yeah,
1: a, yeah, just, just a slight difference there between those two guys.
2: So let's uh, let's talk about free agency. The Bengals, very active in free agency this year uh, to the surprise of many, uh, including some of the guys in the rosters from some of the things I've been hearing lately. But um very active uh who do you think was the best value of all the guys they brought in you know based on what they bring to the table uh you know their potential impact and you know the cost of of bringing them in financially
0: yeah
1: so from just a pure value perspective i really like the mckenzie alexander signing I mean, it's obviously just as short, short as you can get, a one-year deal at this point, but for $4 million, I think it's actually up to $4 million with some incentives there, or there's some um, game day active bonuses, so we want him to play, obviously, 16 full games and reach that $4 million uh, mark, but, you know, a one-year $4 million deal, that's actually less than they paid last year on the one-year deal to bring back Denard, uh, who now is obviously currently still without a home after his deal with the Jaguars fell through, but you know for for the increasing a uh, level of importance of a slot corner of the nickel corner, um, the, the positional value itself it, that that to me also adds to to how how I view uh, what I view as as a very important and the most valuable signing for the team. And obviously, it's the it's not the highest dollar item, but Again, the positional value and then just McKenzie's overall talent when he does play. I know he missed a couple games last year, but, you know, he's a talented corner, both obviously in coverage, which is of paramount importance, but he's a physical player. Does he need to be in the slot? You know, he can help in the run game, doesn't have too many missed tackles like Trey Waynes. But just from a pure value perspective, I really like the Alexander signing. I think he's an upgrade over Denard, who was himself a very good slot corner but McKenzie is, is coming off his rookie contract. He was a second round pick in 2016. He's the type of player that you should be targeting. And and they did target him and they signed him. Ideally, it could have been for a couple, you know, more years, but he he took this one year deal, and the Bengals obviously were comfortable in, in doing that. But if he plays to his level, I would love to see an extension, maybe a three uh, year extension, you know, around, you know, Thanksgiving at some point. Obviously, there's no timetable on that, but mm. maybe lock him up if he's doing well. Of course, if he's doing really well, he may just kind of bet continue to bet on himself and, and play the market again next year. But who knows? Maybe he likes it here. He likes Waynes as his former teammate. He likes the city. He likes the team. If the team is doing well and they offer him a fair deal, you know, towards the end of the season as an extension, maybe he signs that. But for to get Alexander really on, on a $4 million deal to me is great value. I think right after him, I would then say Von Bell. I mean, you got Bell at a $6 million per year cap. I know he's not the best cover safety but you know, based on what Anna Rumo did last year with moving people around on the back end, and you can speak more eloquently than I could on this, but I really think they'll find a spot for Von Bell. Maybe it's more in the Absolutely. box, like, like he he did with with, the, with uh, New Orleans. But you know, I think he could improve in coverage as well. He's still just a young player, just turned twenty five, and again, he he's been in the league four years, a second round pick in twenty sixteen. In, in Mackenzie Alexander's exact same class, I think he was uh, maybe ten or a couple picks after McKenzie went. Uh, but I like those two guys. Obviously I like, I love the reader signing. Uh, you, you tweeted out something today based on the, the number of plays that the Bengals spent in the specific defense. So I like reader, although, you know, maybe we can talk about this later. I'm not sure how many snaps he's going to be able to play. I do think when he does play, mm. he'll contribute at a high level, but again, they're paying him. They gave him a $20 million signing bonus. I think that he's yeah. worth it. Right, but,
2: I yeah. think he helps you in a lot of different ways because I mean, yeah. first of all, in the three-four stuff, the DNs don't count. I mean, we, right. the, we're yep. calling it a three-four, but the DNs are the outside linebackers. So that actually yep. means you're, you know, contrary to, to what it's named, you're you're actually bringing in an extra defensive back for that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was and, and and you know, we were just talking about. I just I, I just finished up a, a seven or sixteen game uh, breakdown of the Bengals defense from last year. Uh, and I, there's some things that are excluded from these numbers, some, uh, goal line looks and balanced looks and, you know, various things like that, but kind of right. in, in the, you know, base setting, uh, so to speak, uh, they, they had, um, they were in, in that three, four look for, uh, 230, uh, snaps, you know, which yep. roughly, uh, roughly a quarter of the snaps over the, over the course of the year. So that's the time when, uh, you know, uh, they've, they've got three defensive linemen, in, uh, three defensive tackles really in there, uh, in the four, three stuff. He is not a huge, um, and first of all, the four, three, there is no four, three base. They, they barely right. ran it. And most of the, most of what they did with, uh, the four, three, the actual four, three was in one game against Baltimore where they, they thought that was going to be the best way to play Lamar. I Um, saw your
1: tweet about that. Yep.
0: Yeah.
2: And so so then that gets you into into the nickel packages and nickel. You know, people say it's become a little bit of a cliche, but nickel is base and a lot. uh, I I believe because somebody asked me about this, I I believe it was like 450 of the 545 nickel snaps were uh, were first or second down. Like yep. it wasn't very much on third down, so uh, you're going to want him in there on the you know on a large amount of those those running uh, you know those running downs, and also he, he gives you the opportunity to, to get Gino out too because they right. they thought they were playing Gino too much last year. Uh, on that note, we talk about the, the substitution packages you were talking about. McKenzie, so yeah, that is you know that's a starting linebacker essentially. You know, from, yeah, uh, that's a starting outside linebacker, uh, basically with, with what the, those guys do. I think Von Bell is a is a great fit and a great value. Uh, yep. Sean Williams has had some ups and downs. Um, I think that bringing in Von Bell will allow Williams to play a more natural role for himself. Uh, he did line up at linebacker a lot in in the dime and and, and nickel too with the dime and nickel looks last year he lined up in the box. Uh, having Von Bell will allow you to to get him out of that situation. And the Bengals ran uh, 178 snaps of uh, like plus defensive back. You know, so a yeah. so dime, so six, seven, or eight diva to backs on the field. Most of that was six, but there were seven and eight a couple of times. Yeah. Um, they ran 178 snaps of that. So, you know, again, that's a lot of snaps. That's that's 50 less than what what they're doing the 3-4 in. And, and we've been talking about the 3-4 so much. So, um, and in that dime package, most of the time, I don't have this exact number in front of me. Most of the time, that extra diva to back was a safety. Um and it 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 was Williams would be playing linebacker essentially, and they bring in F or Brandon Wilson uh to play the deep deep field. So uh so I mean I I, yeah, I think I think he's a great value for that reason. And and yeah, I I think that they're definitely gonna get their money's worth uh out of of Reader. Um I mean they did spend quite a bit on Reader, Trey Wayne's as well. Um do you have any concerns about those contracts, just from the way they look, is it something that they could potentially be buried under if those guys underperform.
1: Uh, there's always that concern if they if they underperform to a, at a level that is unforeseen based on their their track record in the league, and they're still young players. But there, it's nothing. To, the way the contract is structured, you know, they they deviated from their standard um, or, or preferred structure at least recently in the sense that they went heavy cash over cap. Uh, for both of these guys, which just means that they 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 gave these guys a lot of cash in the form of a signing bonus. For Reader, I think they gave him a $20 million signing bonus. For Trey Waynes, they gave him a considerable amount, which then, you know, obviously as we talked about previously, you get to prorate that amount for, for cap accounting purposes, give the player all that money, or maybe in some installments usually, but the player gets all that money very quickly in the signing bonus. But for cap accounting purposes, you prorate that out. Um, so they went, they usually try to keep the cash that they give and the cap close to a one-to-one ratio, but they went because they gave these guys high signing bonuses. Um, they they went uncharacteristically this offseason, cash over cap, as they say. So that does then create some potential concern down the road because those prorated bonuses would act as dead money if those mm. players do underperform and they have to terminate their contract before the contract ends. But because they're also getting paid quite handsomely, even in terms of base salary, towards the end of the deal, like if Reeder totally underperforms just the structure of his deal, I mean, they're going to have to keep him at least two years. Uh, and I just, you know, that that's assuming, let's say, this year he comes out and he's not injured, but he just totally underwhelms, which I don't foresee. But they wouldn't cut him after just one year there'd be too much dead money after one year so they keep him at least two after about year two uh, they could potentially cut him and still have a net positive gain on the cap in other words it would still be dead money but the amount of cap money that they would save from cutting him would would offset that in -hmm. a good way but by year four of his deal he signed a four-year deal there wouldn't be any much any problem there really be the prorated bonus of or his signing bonus would be um, would count as dead money, but it would be a, such a low dead cap hit that the cap savings would be fine. But um, So to, your, to answer your question specifically, I don't have too much concerns because they're obviously shorter deals. I like these lengths. Hmm. Four years for Reader, three years for Waynes. Obviously, the way Waynes is structured, you're going to see him at least two. If he totally bombs, he'll be gone year three. He won't see year three of that. But again, the way it's structured is, they'd still realize... A positive cap uh, savings on that on that potential transaction, but I don't really have any concerns. The cap uh, we may talk about this later. The cap is still going to go up. I mean, obviously now that's kind of in limbo at least for next year because of because of the 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 coronavirus situation. Mm -hmm. But um, but the cap had been rising at a very healthy pace year over year, and so these deals like Reader is at thirteen point two five million average, and Wayne's is at fourteen. But as a percentage of the cap, Wayne's fourteen million on a hundred ninety-eight million dollars salary cap is seven percent. And when to put that in perspective, when Kirkpatrick signed his most recent his recent extension in twenty seventeen, I think it was five years, fifty-two point five million. So that was ten and a half million. The salary cap was one hundred sixty-seven million. So that was six percent of the cap. Here, mm-hmm. Trey Wayne's yes is getting a lot of you know he's got a high average value, but it's still only seven percent of the salary cap. And so obviously. This whole virus, notwithstanding, if the cap continues to raise or to rise, then that, as a percentage of a, of its cap, that average value will only go down too. So, obviously, they're big money contracts. It's it, it's it's a deviation from what they've normally done in free agency, but I think it's a welcome one because, as you said, even current team members, as they've come out and stated, were pleasantly surprised. So, I'm not overly concerned. There's always the risk of a high-priced free agent not fitting in. Uh, or, or not playing well for a variety of reasons. It could be scheme. Uh, it sure. could be just underperformance, but hopefully they vetted that and they think these guys can fit the schemes that uh, Anarumo anticipates playing for them. So I'm not overly concerned with their, with their contracts at all.
2: I, you know, I guess having the rookie, uh, the rookie quarterback contract kind of serves to, as a hedge for that too, a little bit. Exactly. You know what I mean, like yep. you can take a little bit of a hit on some of this stuff. Uh, obviously rather, rather be spending that money on players that are on the roster, but um, right. Now, speaking of players that are on the roster and players that aren't on the roster, uh, the Bengals spent a lot of money in free agency, as we said. Uh, and then they made all of the anticipated cuts. Um, it, it, it's kind of one of those predictably unpredictable or maybe the reverse of that sort of thing, where it was like <laughs> none of these guys were really surprised, but it's kind of a surprise that they actually they actually did what we thought they would do. Um, right. So Cordy Glenn, uh, Drake Kirkpatrick, uh, and then... Most recently, Andy Dalton, all gone. So now they spent all this money and now they've cut a bunch of money um, mm-hmm. between signing their draft picks and their UDFAs. Uh, where does that put their salary cap situation right now? And can they afford to you know to make a move if, if the opportunity strikes?
0: Uh, yeah,
1: I mean they, so right now without obviously they've signed their undrafted players, um, a couple of linemen like the Carrasco kid. I'm not sure you pronounce his name from Morgan state, I believe. And a couple other guys, the Georgia defensive tackle. So those guys are signed, but their draft picks uh, are not signed. Uh, obviously they're, they hold their rights, but um, so they're sitting at, depending on the latest reports, I think from over the cap they're, they're I think a, a little over 24 million, but you factor in the cost that it's going to take uh, the cap cost. It's going to take to sign their rookie players, which again, the, the cap cost is not the same as the rookie pool. The rookie pool is the amount that's needed to sign these guys. But when that, when those guys are then added to the roster upon their signing, essentially, um, due to the offseason accounting rules of the top 51, mm-hmm. you know, those guys are going to bump off players through roster displacement who are already counting in the top 51. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: th- it's just a way of saying that the rookie pool is never the amount needed under the cap to fit those guys in.
0: So and it's Marcus, really
1: less. Like I think a Marcus the
2: Bailey probably won't even
1: right. be in the cap yeah. because
2: he won't be at the yeah, top. That's okay.
1: right. -hmm. Right now, he'll count when the season starts if he makes the team because the top 51 goes away. But yeah, he he's not going to register now. He's not one of the top 51 cap it. So when they do sign him too, his signing bonus proration will automatically hit the cap. But you know, I won't go too far in the weeds on that. But so they're sitting at about 24, a little over 24 now, depending on various reports. And again, it's it's hard to get a precise dollar amount that they're on. But so you factor in then, even though the rookie pool is about 11. To 12 million, the actual room needed to fit these guys in because of roster displacement is only about 7.6 million. So you take that 7.6 million out of the 24.1, and you're down to about 16 and a half. Um, and so to answer your question, yeah, that's plenty of room. I think 24.1, you know, that's the amount of room now prior to them signing their, their drafted rookie class. That puts them, I think, top five in the league. So even after you factor in that 7.6 million rookie uh, rookie numbers, that's 16.5 million. Yes. A lot of that wants to be allocated towards, you know, AJ and AJ green extension or a Joe Mixon extension. You can, you can discuss and debate the merits of those, but just for cap accounting purposes, I'm sure they have those some numbers allocated for those purposes. Anything uh, but, but a
2: Joe wanted, Flacco acquisition.
1: Yeah. So if they <laughs> wanted to go out and sign a Flacco, I've heard that rumor. If they wanted to go out, you know, I know, they really think highly of Fred uh, Fred Johnson, who I like and played well down the stretch, but, and I know it's, it's, odd this year because they're not on the field and there, there are no OTAs. It's all virtual, at least at this point. But if for whatever reason they don't like Fred, they're not comfortable with Fred Johnson's development and, and they really aren't sold on Bobby Hart, although they they appear to be. And again, as we talked about, Hart, it really is not as bad as, as he's made out to be. But if they wanted to go out and sign like a Kelvin Beecham or maybe a Jason Peters, although I think a Beecham is more likely than a Peters, they have plenty of room. They have 16 and a half million to sign those guys on like a one year uh, minimum deal. Not a minimum salary deal, but look at Dalton. He signed a one-year, $3 million deal. He's a quarterback. Um, So you'd be t- talking about maybe guys in that range, but they could afford a one-year, even $5 million type deal if they wanted to. And that still gives them plenty of room to do an, a, do an extension for AJ, do an extension for Mixon, and then even leave about like $10 million, which is like the cushion they want going into the season, which – Allows for, you know, transactions for players who get hurt and then, you know, substitute players that need to be signed on. You need to fit money for the practice squad, although that's less than two million. But then also they want to be able to roll money over next year, too. So I wouldn't be shocked if they added some out another outside veteran free agent at some point, maybe even an edge player if they want a, a different edge like a Cameron Wake, maybe um, based well, they on his do have guys. the uh,
2: they've got the number one uh, you know slot waiver wire, uh, yep. until week three. So there's, there's, you know, potentially some opportunities and, and yeah, something like that could come up if, if, and when we have a camp, uh, right. you know, something, something could come up even at that point. And, right. um, you yeah. know, we're talking about, we're talking about, uh, alignment and edges and things that yep. we kind of knew were needs, but I mean, it could just be an opportunity thing that, that, that pops
1: along like, oof. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and the waiver <laughs> The, the waiver claim uh having number one priority through week three is huge. But the waiver from a cap perspective, really the having that is really no impact on the cap because in order to pass through waivers at this point, you're you're not a vested veteran, so you have less than four years. So you're sure. on your rookie, you're you're on your rookie deal. Um, and even if the rookie got his proven performance escalator, if he was a third through seventh round pick, that, that type of rookie is not going to be cut. But if it's an underperforming guy on his rookie deal, you know, you're talking less than you know, eight hundred thousand dollars as a cap hit, and so that it, it's a great opportunity that presents itself, and it's even better when you think, hey, the cap hit here is 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 minimal. But if they wanted to sign a veteran like a Beecham, they would have that 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 room. They have, again, just assuming when the rookies sign, they'll have about sixteen point five million roughly after that, and even with the extensions as we talked about, and and they want to be able to roll some over next year, even as because we don't know what's going to happen with with the with what the salary cap's going to be next year with. Due to the potential downward impact on the on the the salary cap and and league revenues due to the virus, they want to probably roll over more than they normally do, which is anywhere between eight and ten million. But sitting at sixteen five after you signed your drafted your your draft picks, I mean that's 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 a pretty good spot to be in.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. And so I mentioned earlier, uh, Andy Dalton was the the recent big news, but kind of thrown in there and. Almost, uh, I think, I think it came out on like a Saturday, like, you know, like it came out at a weird time, but who knows what day it is anymore. But, um, <laughs> right, right. John Ross, uh, the Bengals did not exercise Ross's fifth year option. Not really a surprise. I think you and I talked about the, the fact that this is probably not going to happen. Uh, when we talked before free agents even started, uh, about all of this, uh, what does that mean for his future with the club? And, and, and just to clarify, uh, uh, well, actually, I'm I'm I'm, I'm uh, kind of doubling up on the questions here, but That's right. uh, there are new rules uh, with regard to how this fifth year option uh, is handled and the the money involved. John yep. Ross is not subject to that, correct?
1: That's correct. Yeah. So I'll talk and about that would be, that
2: would be, would Joe Burrow be the first
1: person that would be correct? subject So it will actually be, it'll, it, it starts with the 2018 draft class. So, and okay. so that'll be the first guy for the Bengals would be Billy Price.
0: Okay. Um, but that's
1: a good, <laughs> not an issue. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So that's, you know, they've, and, and I'll, I'll, talk about Ross and then I'll get to your, your, the second okay. question about the new CBA uh, changing really, um, the, how, the, what the payout is for the fifth year option, starting with the twenty eighteen draft picks. So, um, yeah, with Ross, it was no surprise. I mean, he obviously started it last season on fire. He had that monster game in Seattle, and then he had that really long. It was a it was a garbage time touchdown against San Francisco in game two. But he, you know, he had he had you know pretty good games in the first couple of weeks, and then got hurt in Pittsburgh and went on IR, and then did return. But um, yeah, there was no way they could have justified giving him or exercising his options, which would have put his 2021 salary at just under $16 million. I believe it was 15.9. Um, But, you know, he's still under contract for this coming season, 2020. He'll be out of contract after this season. It doesn't necessarily mean that the, that Ross, that this will be his last season. I am really actually excited to see him play with Joe Burrow. Um, I, I really think if he stays healthy, hopefully, and he's, you know, and he's he, the and Jamar he You know, they've got
2: Tyler Boyd is a great is a great Justin Jefferson, yeah, and and we got a great Jamar Chase too, and then you get two AJ Greens now.
1: So (laughs) that's right, uh, better than you got got the
2: old AJ and the young AJ. So I mean, that is a that is an incredible receiving core. Um, I don't. To me, I I don't. I want to keep it open with with Ross. Um, I would love to have AJ, but just with the injuries and the age and everything, and like to me I, to, to me those two this year it's the hunger games like who can survive <laughs> like if, That's a good if way to put it. If, i mean if aj green if john ross is healthy all year and and you know has like 800 yards receiving or something like that and aj green plays in half the games only uh, you gotta get the money to John Ross, right? <laughs> you know? yeah, like if he well, if he can prove that he can be healthy for a year, like you gotta do it, and you just gotta be smart with him afterwards. But I, I don't know. That's my that, that's my feeling on it. I, I get it. He's, you know, he he. I, I get why you can't trust him. But if he shows you he can trust him this year, and, and AJ doesn't, I mean, I, I don't know. That that, that yeah. I think they gotta. I think they gotta weed that out. I think one of them's gonna get the contract, but I don't think we should assume it's gonna be AJ.
1: Right. And if AJ does get it, I mean, obviously, you know, he'll, he'd play under the franchise tag, like he said, begrudgingly. But, you know, it may be to the point where AJ's already got a contract extension going into this season. He's got until July 15th, he and the club, until mid-July to, to get that extension done. But it may be the case where AJ has his extension secured and is playing well or, to your point, is missing games. At that point, you have to kind of bite the bullet. And let's say Ross is is, is balling out and having a great season, which which I still have hope that he does. Sure. You know, it it doesn't necessarily mean though that his he would be out of contract, that the Bengals would still have options. They could, although they wouldn't since they didn't exercise the option. But if he just has a monster season and they don't want to lose him, and we could talk about this later because they do have a lot of other players both on both sides of the ball that are going to be considerable free agents if they play well this year, mm-hmm. um, you know, they won't be cheap. But they could, they could. I'm talking about if Ross has a monster season this year and mm-hmm. develops into like the number one receiver for Joe Burrow, they could franchise him. I doubt they do that, but they could also transition tag him, um, and that would have been the cost of the fifth-year option anyway. Now, that is fully guaranteed, which is why they didn't exercise it now, um, and we'll talk about that later. But, you know, there, it, it, it's not without question that Ross doesn't come back after this coming season. He could still wear it very well come back. On, on an extension too. They don't have to maybe do the transition tag. They could offer a, you know a shorter term extension or a longer term extension. Um, but but a recent example is like Kendall Fuller, the corner for the Bears, who kind of was a little di- he was a first round pick, was a little disappointing uh, in terms of his performance the first couple years. The Bears didn't exercise his, his fifth year option um, but then had to assign him to a pretty healthy extension afterwards. And, and he's playing pretty well for them. But so it's not the end of the road for Ross, even though you know, having your fifth-year option declined is never a good thing, although it's not a complete door-shutting activity. It's not to the point, at least I don't think, where the team is shutting their door completely on Ross after this season. Of course, if he goes out and is injury-riddled or just underwhelms and and Burrow does well with the other guys, then I really think the writing isn't going to be on the wall at that point that they'll just let Ross walk. But yeah, you're right. They're, They're going to have to have a delicate balance. They're (laughs) <laughs> their hand is a little forced because of this deadline with AJ because of the franchise tag, where they could extend him and then if Ross is really, like I said, tearing it up next year, then it's like, But but that's a good problem to have, right? You know, if he does well and you're you know, then yeah. you let him walk, you may get a comp pick, but I just I just hope they don't
2: give him the Tyler Eifert treatment like from this right. year, or just kind of right. use him here and there and let him be healthy, which is yep. a great plan when you know, but not when you're not going to resign the guy anyway <laughs> you know I mean? right. like yeah like, like if you're if you're trying to save the guy for the playoffs and have him around and like like there's i, I get it there's ways to be smart about it but like yeah, they didn't young. really get anything out of Eifert last year yeah he, um, he's
1: too young for he's still he's still in the early part of his career too i know effort wasn't he's not 30 yet but yeah that's hmm. just i think yeah they i don't think they go down that road either but yeah the reason they didn't off well so yeah, the new CBA changed a little bit with these fifth-year options and, and and what the payout is in the fifth year if the options exercise. But they also changed too what happens when the option is ex- exercised in terms of what is guaranteed to the player. So Ross uh, uh, was the that last class, right now, correct? Yeah, that's right. So hey, so yeah. he he would have he, he was in the last class that is under the old CBA rules. He was in the 2017 class and he was a top ten pick. So his salary was guaranteed if they picked up the option. Was guaranteed at the transition tag number for this year, which was just under sixteen million. But at the time they exercise it, or would have exercised it in his case, the guarantee would have been for injury only. And so, because of Ross's injury history, you know the risk is small when the injury, when the guarantee is only for for injury. Because if the player is healthy, um, you know stays healthy but still underperforms, you can still you can still you know not exercise the option and you don't have to pay him any money but the risk with Ross would be even though it's only guaranteed at this point for injury if he got hurt where he couldn't play next year then the Bengals are on the hook Mm -hmm. Um, and so the the way that the way that old CBA was it was guaranteed for injury only at the time of exercise and then it transition or converts into a full guarantee on the first day of the league year but that doesn't that doesn't apply to Ross because they didn't exercise it so if they did exercise it This past weekend, it would have been guaranteed for injury only for 2020 and then converted into a full guarantee um, on the first day of the 2021 league year. But we don't have to worry about that because Ross, his option, of course, wasn't picked up. But for Billy Price, for players in Billy Price's draft class, the 2018 draft class, when the time comes to exercise the fifth year option, that decision, if the option is picked up, it is fully guaranteed at the time of exercise. It doesn't. There's no one-year waiting period for the injury guarantee to convert to a full guarantee. It's fully guaranteed at the time of exercise. So a year from now, we'll know if it's for Billy Price. The way it's going right now, it's likely not to be picked up by the Bengals. But if they were, it would be guaranteed not just for injury only, like for the prior draft classes, but it would be fully guaranteed at the time they pick it up, which is after the player's third year. And then another slight difference is that they've changed the payout from, you know, we mentioned with Ross, from a determination of based on where the player was drafted. If they were drafted in the top 10 picks, it would be the transition tag. If they're drafted from in picks 11 through 32 of the first round, it's a transition tag, but it's based on the salary range between the third highest and 25th highest. The way they've done it now is, in addition to making, again, the – guarantee a full guarantee at the time of exercise they've actually make it made it performance based on the amount in the fifth year option so i won't get too far into it but essentially it's a tiered structure where if you make multiple pro bowls in your first three years you get the franchise tag of your on your fifth year option you get the franchise tag amount if you make one pro bowl um, in the first three years and the club exercises your fifth year the fifth year option is worth the transition tag the straight transition tag if you make no Pro Bowls, but you've hit a playtime percentage, I believe it's 75% in either of the first two years um, or, or over a cumulative average, um, then you get the third through 20th highest salaries in the fifth year. And then the last one is, which you know Billy Price may ultimately end up falling in, is if you make no Pro Bowls and you don't reach your playtime percentage threshold, you get the transition tag number as determined between the third and 25th highest salary. So, based on the new rules, the highest Billy Price can earn is the full transition tag amount for his fifth year. That's assuming he makes the Pro Bowl this year, which who knows? We've seen stranger things. But let's say he established himself as the right guard, for example, and plays really well. I think he's a better guard than a center. It's, 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 you probably know better. I think he, you know, at Ohio State, I always liked him more as a guard than a, than a center. But let's say he, you know, he plays well this year and, and earn, earns a Pro Bowl, a first ballot Pro Bowler. Um, and the Bengals would then likely pick up his option a year from now and would be fully guaranteed the time they do that. But then his because he made the Pro Bowl, it would just be that one Pro Bowl, obviously, it's, it's, it's year three. His fifth year option uh, amount would then equal the transition tag amount. So there's no way he could reach the highest level of the fran- franchise tag amount because there's no way he can make multiple Pro Bowls now in his first three years. He's already entering year three and he hasn't made a Pro Bowl. So not to get too far in the weeds on that, but... As it's trending now, if Billy Price ends up being a backup or a spot starter in 2020, there's no way they'll pick up his his fifth-year option.
2: So if Joe Burrow goes to uh, two Pro Bowls in his first three years, that number becomes the franchise number.
1: Correct. That is okay. a great. That's a great point. So for all my rambling that I just did there, you you got the the the, the most. Which, I mean, I right. mean,
2: hopefully it happens with Jonah Williams. You know, he's gonna have to go two right. for two. Jonah, but uh, <laughs> Jonah
1: Williams is also a thing. That's right. He if he gets two, you know, he'd have to make back to back Pro Bowl years now because he's already gone through yep. year one. But yeah, if Joe. If, if if Joe Burrow plays is is a first ballot Pro Bowl again. That's not an alternate or like fifth alternate, like first ballot Pro Bowl selection. Original ballot, I think the term is uh multiple times in his first three years. So more than once, he'll get his fifth year option will be the franchise tag number for that year. But the reality is if he's playing at that high of a level, which we all anticipate he will, the Bengals are going to sign him to an extension right oh, sure. after year three, like they did with Carson and like Mahomes is going to go, is going to sign this year likely. So they'll already have signed, have signed him to his mega extension um, the first offseason they can, which is after year three, and they won't even get to the fifth-year option issue. They'll just have extended him to a to a pretty hefty contract.
2: So uh, another change of the CBA has been about the roster size, and there seems to be a little confusion on this because I've seen some people are doing 53-man roster projections. Some people are doing 55. Uh, are, are, there, are there two actual extra... Roster spots, or is that just like the relationship with the practice squad?
1: Yeah, it's more of the latter. So the roster technically is still at a 53 active limit. But the the, the nuance there is you have, every team has every week, the ability to call up or elevate every week from their own practice squad, two guys, up to two guys. So it could be one guy, but every team would likely just bring up two, right? If you could. Mm -hmm. So technically, it, it remains at the base 53 level, but every week, every team is allowed to elevate two guys um, to make it 55. And now, a couple things with that. When they do that, they're allowed, the same player can come up and then go back down to the practice squad without having to pass through waivers. Because under mm-hmm. the old format, if you cut a player, you know, let's say you sign him from the practice squad for you know a week four game, and then you know he was replacing an injured guy, and then the injured guy comes back, and you don't need that newly called up practice squad player. Well, you'd have to terminate his contract, and he would have to pass through waivers, and he may get claimed. But now with the new rules of the C- with the rules of the new CBA, every team is allowed to elevate these two practice squad players, which could then push the roster up to fifty five, and a player is allowed to go up and down two times without having to pass through waivers so it's a free elevation and a, and a, and a free um uh you know go back down to the practice squad without having to go through the waivers or the risk of being claimed on waivers that is associated with that so now, it's really a now, fifth, are those players
2: that are elevated protected from being stolen off of our practice squad to a to an actor to a like a so 53 man roster
1: that, it's a good question. So when they're elevated from the practice squad for purposes of increasing it to either 54 or 55 players, they're on the active roster. Even though the active roster is still 53, they're, they're active roster players. Those, those guys are under contract and they cannot be poached. Now, if they're, if, if they're not elevated, if they're sitting there on the practice squad, they're free agents technically, and then and those guys can be poached too. Um, but the, the guys that are elevated cannot be poached since they're technically okay. like add-ons to the, to the active roster. So I, those just, guys just for us. some
2: context on that, like, that's how the Bengals got Fred Johnson. Yeah. He was on the Steelers practice squad. Oh, yeah. We stole him from the Steelers practice squad. Uh, so yeah. so this is, you know, obviously there's going to be situations where um, you need to do it with the player because Joe Mixon is injured and we need an extra running back that week. It, right. You know, or yeah. something along those lines. Um, but I think it's also, uh, well, well, you know, Jake, Jake Dolagala is an example. You know. Yep. Yeah. He was a guy that they weren't comfortable with. They they were worried they were going to lose him if they tried to put him on the practice squad. Uh, now you can kind of you, you can you can work that angle. Like if you're comfortable, if you think you can get by with it once, you know, to to cut him after the end of the season, put him on the practice squad, then you can elevate him and kind of hide him in that little that little limbo area there.
1: That's right. Yeah. And so that's a good point. So with Dolagala, yeah. If you, if if now the risk this year is not too high you think and he doesn't make the original 53 you can cut him if he passes through waivers unclaimed put him on the practice squad and let's say finley gets a nick in 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 a practice week taking some backup reps and you know he's going to be a game day game day inactive and you need a backup quarterback that's healthy just bring up dolagala and then you can the next week you can push him back down And you can do that two times with him specifically throughout the course of the season without having to expose him to waivers. If you do it a three – the third time when you try to push him back down after the call-up, then you have to expose the player to waivers. So that's a cool Mm -hmm. nuance. So, But I will also talk about there's been a change in the game day active. So, Matt, your question was a great question about – yeah, it's still – I still – if I'm doing like roster projections, I would still always project still a 53-man roster because these two add-ons, again, are just practice squad players that you can elevate on a weekly basis, on a game basis. Um, But more importantly than the 53 to 55 is game day actives now have... They used to be last year at 46. Game day actives can increase to 48 with the caveat being that there have to be eight active offensive linemen. So if you have... Uh, eight active offensive linemen on your game day actives, you're allowed to have 48 active players. And if you don't have eight game day active O-linemen, O-line, um, o- o- line you can still have one more. You can have 47 active players, which is one more than the 46. So that's a big thing too. So let's say, for example, so you can kind of combine the two between the, the 48 game day active, 48, you, you can get the 48 provided you have eight active offensive linemen. Let's say, like a, a, you know, a game weekend is coming by, and let's say you have your full 53-man roster. Obviously, you, you call up two guys from the practice squad. One of those two call-up guys could be an offensive lineman that fits you to get you to eight active and then allows you to carry 48 total active players. So that yeah. increase in two game day active players is huge. Uh, for the club, obviously, and for the individual player itself that could potentially get game day experience, especially if they're active. But again, that you're the every club is allowed to have forty-eight active players, provided that eight of those active players are offensive linemen.
2: Yeah, and I mean th- that's huge too because th- th- they really need to do more about that. And I kind of wish that they would have a special practice squad designation for offensive linemen. You know, where you had one, like maybe one, maybe two guys that couldn't be poached who are offensive linemen because I I feel like this happens a lot with offensive linemen. I forget his name. The Bengals had a guy they drafted uh, some years ago in like the sixth round, and they they tried to put him on the practice squad, and and Denver swiped him, and he was starting for Denver like as a rookie.
1: Oh, <laughs> was it the JJ? Uh, yes,
2: uh, Dealman or Dialman or something. JJ J-
1: Dealman, yeah, from yeah. Utah
2: Utah State. But, like he was a, like he was a good player, and and I just yeah. especially with how college football is right now, right. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys who just aren't trained to be offensive line in the NFL yet. Uh, yeah. And some of these big buys they're bringing in, you know, they could just, just have them, you know, be able to work with them for a year. I mean, you know, not not that this is the exact case, but look at Trey Hopkins, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. you know like, that guy worked up from undrafted and practice squad and all that. And, oh, yeah. um, and with all we do to try and protect – the quarterback in particular, but players in general. Uh, you know, I think having a, a kind of a farm league is sort of, uh, yeah. basically, I guess, you know, a way of developing offensive linemen without risking, you know, the Bengals pulling a Fred Johnson on you. Uh, You're right, <laughs> you know, I, I think that I think I that think it, benefits the league, I think that benefits everybody.
1: I think it's huge, yeah. I think th- this, this eighth uh, offensive lineman active that then triggers you the club to carry 48 active instead of 46, I think it's going to be huge. I think, you know, a lot of smart teams will will find a way to to make that even more advantageous. But to your point, yeah, it, it's helpful for for O-linemen based on, obviously, you know, the way the college game is being played. There's less development for for O-linemen uh, in, in certain regards. So obviously carrying that, that I, I think just on the active roster, where a team may carry nine on the 53, they may carry 10 knowing that you know you need to have eight active on game day if you want to get to that forty eight active total for the total number of players. Although and, now and by though, the way,
2: like like just this is a good example. When the Bengals drafted Hakeem Adeniji, one of the things that they said about him was that, that they liked uh that he was versatile. They they said yep. he's a tackle and a guard. Um and when it we're talking about something in the CBA that requires you to have eight offensive linemen.
0: Yeah.
2: I mean you start 5. You know what I mean? <laughs> like yeah, so right. so so you know that that's just telling you that people were going into the game with only two backups for five Seven. guys. So you had to have a, a big that's tight end to have guys that, these yep. ha- to have swing tackles and to have uh, guys that can play multiple spots inside and out and, and honestly even a Billy Price like yep. it, you know it, I, I know we we get upset and fed up with him because you weren't happy with the pick and because he hasn't panned out, but at the end of the day, they need somebody else that can snap. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, he, he might not start at guard, but he's you know he might be the only other guy that can play center if something happens to trade, and you just you just need some guys around that have some versatility. And that's that's what the value of that is. Um, exactly. Now, now we, we we talked about the practice squad a little bit, and now in the CBA it looks like there's opportunities for the practice squad to go up at a at a couple of different points, and and to really yep. grow that group.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's actually going up for the next two seasons. So 2020, assuming we play one, which I, I remain hopeful we will, and then 2021 next season, uh, the practice squad number is going to increase from 10, which it was last year and has been, uh, to 12. So two more players are going to be added. Uh, or up to two players can be added. You don't have to have these guys, but every team is going to want to max out their practice squad, obviously. So sure. it increases from 10 to 12 for the next two years. And then starting in the 2022 season, so three years from now, uh, three seasons from now, I should say, through the end of this current, the, the new current CBA, which, is, which runs through the 2030 season, the practice squad is actually going to increase to 14 players. So that'll be huge. But the 14 players, it's not going to happen until 2022, the next two seasons, it'll go up to 12, which is a nice addition. It's a nice little bump up for, you know, those marginal guys or, or guys that the coaching staff or an organization really feels highly of, but feel that they need a little bit more development. Mm-hmm. And, and then obviously with the ability to, to bump up two of these guys every week uh, to get up to 55 um, and then 48 game day actives, assuming again, eight you have eight O-linemen active And that's going to be huge. These two added practice squad spots are are, are pretty big for the next two years. And then you start to have four more starting in 2022. But even bigger than that is the eligibility, which was expanded uh, based on based on who is who is eligible to be on a practice squad. Because a couple of years ago, they allowed it, it used to be that you could not have more than one accrued season. And an accrued season is essentially six games during a season. Um, and so there was one originally one exception to that, meaning that if you did have one accrued season, but you were active for only nine games or less, then you could still be on a practice squad. But a couple years ago, they even modified that to say, we're now allowing players with no more than two. So four players with two, but no more than two accrued seasons could still be on. And a couple of players have, have taken advantage of that opportunity, or, or teams have taken advantage of that by, by stashing those players on a practice squad. But in addition to increasing the number to 12, they've also expanded the eligibility where two players now on the practice squad can have an unlimited number of accrued seasons. They could be a 16-year vet like Andrew Whitworth. Obviously, he's not practice squad material, (laughs) but they could be. Or somebody with five years or somebody that has more than two. So it's an expansion. So so the Bengals
2: decided to bring in Ocho Cinco to try out for the kicker position (laughs) and— And they decided that he wasn't great. He wouldn't create ready to beat up Bullock after uh, after camp. So they wanted to stash him uh, as a kicker on the practice squad. They could they could do that.
1: I actually, I'm not only can they do that now under the new rules, I'm actually 100% in favor of them doing that for that specific <laughs> purpose. That would be that's under the, the letter of the new rule. That's uh, totally fine. Because again, <laughs> two more spots have been allowed now for players with an unlimited number of accrued seasons. Now, obviously, that would be tough on the player you know, let's say you're a 10-year vet and you're on the practice squad, but they do get paid a little bit more than the other guys do um, Mm -hmm. on the practice squad. But it's a way for a team to kind of keep you around. And if the player is really established and they don't want to move, let's say they're they're for whatever reason, obviously financial considerations always speak the loudest, but if, if the player is an established guy with a young family, let's say, or for whatever reasons, and they don't want to move, get out of town and they think there's a good chance that they'll get back on the active roster, there's a there's a way for these types of players to now sit on a practice squad, because the reality is, let's say you do have a seven year vet on the practice squad. I mean, what's he going to develop? Right. I mean, he's he's already probably there's no more development in that type of player. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, I don't know how it's going to be utilized. I would think it couldn't be like an Ocho Cinco example, to use your extreme example, although that would qualify. But it's for any player, uh, two, two players now that have an unlimited number of accrued seasons can sit on a practice squad. And they can sit on there the whole season if they want.
2: Yeah, I guess we'll see if it if it if it gets used at all. But I mean, like, that is great that they're they're increasing that, and and that's the other thing too is that, like, you need bodies. Yeah. Um, you know. Yep. So the development's great, but also just having two more guys to you know be a scout kickoff return team like that's reps that that Brandon Wilson isn't taking. You know, uh, or and other guys like that who are not necessarily starters, but but role players, um, you know, and depth guys. Like those guys have to do things in practice that aren't related to anything they're gonna do on Sunday necessarily. Yeah. Um, so, so that's you know, so, so it's good to have those those extra bodies around.
1: Yeah, and and, and to to the point, I guess I was kind of being facetious or or just going to the extreme of saying, uh, you know, even like a seven-year vet. Uh, or a 15-year vet like Whitworth, Whitworth, they could be, there obviously are practice squad eligible, but those types of players aren't going to be on a practice squad. I'm thinking, I'm just thinking in practicality, in practical, from a practical perspective, how this would work and the type of players that would fit that exception. In other Mm -hmm. words, they have more than two accrued seasons. Maybe somebody like, he's not currently on the roster, but like, you know, a Josh Malone, who was a 2017 fourth round pick, never developed, but still a young guy. I think he's on the Jets right now. But mm-hmm. let's say the Bengals have like a, you know, hopefully that doesn't happen, but a rash of wide receiver injuries and they want to bring him back. You know, he's obviously has more than two accrued seasons now, but he's the type of player that could now be practice squad eligible. And he's practice squad eligible. And maybe you want to give him time to develop. I'm just kind of thinking out loud of sure. the type of player who would be who would have more than two accrued seasons, even though the rule is written that they can have an unlimited number. You know, the type of players who would kind of fit, uh, uh, you know, in that in that eligibility uh Framework. No, yeah.
2: I and I guess it's, I mean, you know, if you're looking at, uh, at, at Alex Erickson, let's say Alex yeah. Erickson wasn't returning kicks. Yep. And after, good example. You know,
1: and this Erickson's year he's,
2: good. he's like a, maybe he's going to be like seventh on the depth chart, you know, because you have, you know, maybe he's not right away, but, but like you, you really want to keep around, uh, Stanley Morgan, you know, like you got yeah. some younger guys. So you don't want to risk losing the younger guys in that right. transition. You're we're willing to risk cutting bait on Alex Erickson a year early. Um I don't know, maybe something maybe something like that is is a way to kind of fit in. Maybe actually, it's more yeah, yeah, it's more about a depth in the way you're protecting the guy.
1: Good perhaps and, and Erickson. <laughs> I didn't even think of Erickson would be an ideal. I mean, obviously he has aspirations of making the team, but yeah, he's well over two accrued seasons. So he would fit in that niche of or that, that this new eligibility rule that allows him to, yeah, he, he, I could definitely see that, especially if his market outside of Cincinnati isn't that strong. Um, or he just wants to stay here because he knows he'll get a fair chance, even if he's on the practice squad for a couple weeks. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the practice squad could all be filled. Even though with it's been expanded to twelve, it could be all it can all be filled with younger guys who don't have even a year uh, one accrued season of service. Um, and that it's still most likely to be the case, but it does allow for this extra flexibility of of two guys now with unlimited number of, of accrued seasons. Yeah, Erickson's a good example.
2: I mean, I mean it almost could be like a, like he's injured and it, and you're not going to put him on an injured reserve or anything like that. But again, you don't want to risk losing that Damian Lewis or Damian uh, um, Willis, uh, Willis or somebody or yep. wherever else you like. Yep. you know what I mean. So like maybe it's just like you know this is the way we're gonna stash him for that week and get the other guy and then we can you know I I, I don't know I'm just I'm just kind of spitballing here. Yeah, um, but sure. I, I, you know we're just going to have to watch what Belichick does with this rule because <laughs> that'll, that'll, that'll be it. Uh, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure Ernie Adams has already figured out the, the way to cheat the system. So, uh, and more power too. I say that I say that with nothing, but, uh, nothing but praise because,
0: right, right.
2: um, that's half of, that's half of what coaching is, is figuring, <laughs> figuring out, uh, figuring out all the advantages you can, you can possibly get for yourself.
0: Um, yeah.
2: so we talked about, I guess we we'll we kind of leave out the potential uh lost income this year if there is a shortened season or if there are games played with no fans uh and what that could do for you know for the income of the league and thus the salary cap uh but they are expanding the playoffs immediately uh yeah. and it is set up that they can increase to a 17 week uh 17 game I should say season Uh, in the near future uh, I believe there's an opportunity for the owners to choose to add that for starting uh, there's like a window between 2021 and
1: 2023
2: for that and and there's certain details that have to be ironed out with that who gets the extra home game and all that type of stuff Um, and uh, there's also in the new CBA there's a media kicker Uh, so the players are already getting a higher percentage of the of the, of the league's income. Uh, but that percentage, uh, can increase with new TV contracts, uh, that the league signs. So all of this sounds like more and more money, which is going to mean more and more cap. What does this mean? I mean, you were talking about it, you you talked about it before. How about the, how the caps, you know, the caps just crazy lately. Uh, I mean, is it going to be even more out of control with all this stuff?
1: Well, I mean, obviously, with with the pandemic, it's it's kind of thrown sure. a, a wrench into everything. But yeah, just let's kind of rewind back to, you know, the Super Bowl time, because that's when, when everything was kind of normal still, so to speak. And if we were on our current trajectory or the NFL's current trajectory of revenues, um, yeah, the, 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 ca- the salary cap was set to spike uh, considerably, especially because you do have these new network deals that are coming due for um, a renegotiation or not even renegotiation potentially you could have some additional networks let's say you know like uh, abc wants to get a sunday afternoon package going and not just have their espn affiliate be the monday night team although i don't see that happening but you know you could have t- you know total new deals with with different networks in terms of the, the 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 time slots on on the weekend games but all of that was leading was was at least portending to um show that the salary cap is 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 on a upward trajectory and in a, a continued upward trajectory um, because it's like I mentioned in reference to Drake Kirkpatrick's extension in analyzing his contract extension in 2017 as a percentage of the cap the cap there was 167 million the unadjusted cap so that I mean in in three years now four years if you count 2017 and count 2020 but it's already at 198 you know that's a that's a 31 million dollar increase in, in in over four years and, you know, the cap has been increasing $10, 10 million roughly every year for the last several seasons. And so we kind of anticipated that being the case and probably growing even at a more rapid pace than that as well based on these upcoming TV deals. But, you know, who knows with that, the, the, the coronavirus has kind of hit the pause button, unfortunately, on, on all that in terms of at least what potentially the 2021 cap will be based on the league revenues that they generate in 2020. Um, the TV deals are the biggest revenue driver with the league. They're they're the biggest bucket of of revenue that the league gets. Um, but you referenced the media kicker. My understanding I don't have a firm understanding too much of it, but my understanding is that the players currently under the terms of the new CBA get forty eight percent cut of of the, of the league's revenue. Uh, the 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 clubs the ownership gets fifty two of the the league, the players get forty eight. But the media kicker comes in whereby if, if the TV revenues grow, I think the threshold level is by 60% with these new negotiations. So if they exceed 60% of what they currently make, then the le- then the player's share of the revenue jumps up to 48 and a half. So they get a half a percentage point increase in revenues. But provided that the TV revenues from these new deals that are uh, currently being negotiated and about to be executed... Um, if those revenues grew by 60% or more then the players get, 48.5% of the revenues instead of their current 48. And I think there's another threshold. If, they, if the revenues increase by 20 uh, you know, percent I believe is the threshold, so double the initial threshold amount, uh, then the players' revenue goes up to 48.8, so not quite 49 yeah. But it would go up to potentially 48.8%. But
2: and, I mean, and it's exponential, too, because, you know, the revenue is going up. Yep. So they're even the 48 is more money. Correct. But then then you get an extra point five of that. So, you know, it's it's uh, it's multiplicity, you know, it's a yeah. reference of bad Michael Keaton movie.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah. I mean. So, yeah, I mean, 48 percent, even if even if they don't get that 60 percent threshold of the new TV revenues a 48 percent, you know, 48 percent of of take the do the math on it, like you mentioned, it's still it, it, obviously the players, I think, wanted 50 percent, but there's no way the owners would have given them that. Um you know 48% of a bigger number is a bigger number obviously is a, is a big, bigger bigger resultant number even if they don't get the 60% increase in the revenues from the TV deals so like you said even if their revenue share doesn't jump to 48.5 ideally they're dealing with more revenue overall so that's going to be a, a bigger slice even though the percentage may stay the same of their cut but who knows i mean obviously uh, with the coronavirus, it's, we're kind of up in the air t- in terms of a season, in terms of revenue generation. But I hope this all goes away as quickly as possible, obviously, uh, and we can kind of return to normal with football and, and 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 with the current projections, or at least what the projections were showing yeah. for for the upcoming seasons.
2: Absolutely, I, and and and, I really, that's, you know, and and teams are planning years ahead, so I mean, yeah. this has got to throw a major wrench in your plans or something like that. And and I mean, even if even if the revenue is taking a major hit, it's not like like the salary cap can't go down. That'll just screw up everybody way too much, you know. Like, like they'd have to
0: they, they have to bite it. the
2: bullet for a year and just, yeah. can't, which would just be, you know, make a a much steeper curve when it started going up again because they'd have to they'd have to really take it for one year and then the next year would probably be kind of getting back to it. But right. you um, could
1: have. My anticipate, if they, if you start getting in the missed games this year, which unfortunately, which I hope does not happen, you, you can have a side agreement with the NFL, between the PA and, and the league, where they kind of just adjust the cap accordingly, where it's not, it doesn't take too much of a precipitous fall, which would, you know, cause havoc for these teams that have to would have to then get under it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's to me, if the draft taught us anything with the virtual draft edition this year, it's that, you know, football's at an all-time, you know, you know, popularity level. I mean, it, it's been America's pastime now, I don't know, 15, 20 years, if not longer, overtaking baseball. And it continues to be just a widely pop, wildly popular sport. Even just look at the draft where no games are played. And I know, obviously, everybody's sitting at home and, and kind of forced to watch it, but the ratings were at an all-time high this year. And so I reference this in the sense that, you know, that media kicker is tied to the revenue from the new TV deals. And so I think people, the appetite for football is still there. Even the TV appetite, in fact, it's probably higher. Um, and so I think the the TV uh networks realize this and so I still think that they'll be able to 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 give the league uh a nice you know nice deals like very very yeah. wealthy deals and that's, that's uh, the other the thing
2: too TV I thing. mean like when about adding this game like we we're talking about the money that they're gonna lose from not having a gate like if they have to play games without fans in the stand but I mean right. the TV money's where it's at um, yeah. And that's what, I mean I've been I've been saying for years that they shouldn't add extra games they should add extra bye weeks because you know, then the players aren't taking any more punishment they're actually getting uh, you know like a day off every month or, you know yeah. basically uh, but the league gets a lot more money because you can you can have a 20 week football season and still play 16 games you know right. <laughs> like yeah. Um, but yeah I mean but even even increasing it by by one game I mean. That's a I mean, that's a lot more. I mean, because you got to figure, you know, it's a 17 week season. But if you're if you're ABC, if you're ESPN, you're not buying 17 games because you're going to get a couple playoff games, probably, too. And and you might get a uh, a Thanksgiving game or something. So so let's say it's 20. And I, I have no idea. Like, it might be, it's probably it's probably more than that. I bet it's at least 20, though. But if you add one more game to twenty, that's a that's a five percent increase. Yeah. In the in all the TV, you know, in all the commercials and everything that you can sell. So, uh, right. you know, that on top of the natural inflation of it and how popular the sport is and everything, um, th- these TV contracts are going to be they're going to be something. They're
1: going to be <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're they're, they're going to be nice. The, <laughs> the current ones, which were the last ones, were, were huge and obviously made it for obviously you know a great. You know, just from a financial windfall perspective, you know, you know, just really sunny days for the league and 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 players obviously were benefiting from it. But, yeah, I think the TV money will be there. Like you mentioned, the gate receipts and the local revenue, which is another um, bucket that the all revenue is derived from for the league. You have the TV money, and then you have, like, NFL properties and NFL ventures. And then you have the local revenues that the teams generate. So if teams can't have, like, fans in the stands and the ticket revenues go down and the Here. concession and the local advertising for, like, even preseason games that may be canceled, obviously that will impact the local teams. Uh, directly, and that'll impact the league in turn because that local revenue bucket is not as full as it used to, as it generally is. Mm-hmm. Um, but the TV money, which is where this media kicker is tied into for the player share, I anticipate even with the coronavirus thing, I, I anticipate the TV money to still be, you know, very substantial and just, you know, very healthy.
2: Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I'll probably if, if they take a hit this year at all, once they re-sign that, that'll be what gets it back yeah um, they'll be they'll be good to go but now we talked about uh so we, we talked about how much money they have right now for this season uh and we talked about uh where the cap could potentially be going they have a number of potential free agents out of the season i mentioned sean williams uh, i believe i mentioned sean williams so yeah. um you know, as a part of that Von Bell thing is is that Sean Williams is a free agent. So uh, right. although I think there is a, a place for both of them. Um, so that's one. But like the bigger names would be Joe Mixon, uh, William Jackson, Carl Lawson, uh, potentially a very big contract. Uh, A.J. Green. And now John Ross is uh, is a potential free agent as well. So what uh, you know, what does all this mean for? The odds of bringing those guys back, those are some big names. Uh, yeah. Some big shoes is, to fill uh, in all over the field there.
1: Yeah, this is a healthy list. It reminds me of after the 2015 season or leading up to the 20, leading into the 2015 season where after that, the Bengals had a lot of players who were up on contracts. You had core players coming off their rookie deals like Muhammad Sanu and, and Marvin Jones who left. Both of those guys left. Mm-hmm free agency to Atlanta and uh and the Lions even though Sanu was now the Patriots and then he also I, yeah. I think like Reggie Nelson was due. he was a older player at that point but he was up um Pac-Man was up who I think they resigned, but don't quote me on that they had a couple other guys too so kind of it's giving me a vibe of, of 2015 where you know you have a lot of players that are coming up uh you know on expiring contracts so um
2: and, and that's the thing too I think would uh a lot of people point to the downfall of the Bengals as the following year when they lost Whitworth and Zeitler. Yep. But it really started when they when they lost um, Mo and Marvin Jones because uh, they they did not have a receiver core. Uh, it was it was the AJ show that next year.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I. And, and that's what?
2: that's been the downfall. Of this this team at at points is you know they don't always have the guy ready. Uh, in place, you know, the next year. And that's where they really haven't spent money. That's where it's hit them that they haven't uh, been big with outside free agencies. When they have that hole, they, they haven't filled it appropriately. They filled it with Carlos Dansby or, you know, Kevin or one of these guys. <laughs> that's right. So, um, yeah, so yeah, I mean, that, that's, what's tough. And I think looking at this list, like running back is running back. Like, like we know how that goes, but they've, they've got a couple guys with some potential behind Mixon. William Jackson, oof. I mean, (laughs) they've got to do something about that. Um, You know, Lawson, you also have an aging Dunlap. So put those two things together together, and you're really relying on Hubbard uh, at an already light position there. Uh, Receivers in a pretty good spot, though. I mean, they just took T. Higgins. They got Tyler Boyd's, uh, you know, fantastic. And I think he's going to be – I think people aren't talking enough about how good Joe Burrow is going to be for Tyler Boyd. I, um, I agree. I agree. But I mean, the receiver position—at least you got those guys, you know. And, and if if they lost AJ and John Ross, that would be kicking the teeth. But uh, <laughs> but apparently, we have another great wide receiver group coming out next year. So
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> so that grass, um, you know. T Higgins teammate, Justin Ross is, is, is another kind of similar, maybe a little faster than Higgins, but you know, big athletic freak, big bodied player, but yeah, they, they got some don't, good receivers. Don't throw away your Ross jersey just yet. <laughs> there you go. You could do it that way. Different type of receiver, obviously, but, but yeah. yeah, next year's class is, is, is looking pretty good too. Just like this year's class with the six guys in the first round, but yeah, 20, I think when Whitworth, Whitworth and Zeiger left back to your last point, I think that was a couple years after 2015. I think that was 2017. But to your point overall, Those guys, you know, they're still replacing, they still haven't replaced Zeitler at right guard, right? And that was in 2017, two years after that big 2015 exodus that they had with their free agents. But that 2017 exodus that they had still left their offensive line in shambles, let's be honest. I mean, hopefully it gets repaired this year with Jonah returning, but, you know, they still had to address that. You know, Whitworth left in 2017 with Zeitler. They really didn't fill it. Yes, they traded for Cordy Glenn the following year in twenty eighteen. That didn't pan out for whatever reason. And then they addressed it with Jonah Williams and he got hurt. But you know, they're still feeling the effects of what happened in that free agency where their homegrown players were leaving. And so to your point, yeah. hopefully that situation doesn't repeat itself with this up with these guys that are upcoming uh, free agents uh, after this this season.
2: And, and that I, was I, the impact of the way uh, he, Jake Fisher drafts. It you was, that, they
1: had overconfidence in those guys. So they never yep. should have had the confidence anyway, to begin with those guys didn't hadn't shown anything that they could really play. And yep. obviously they were high draft picks. You have to give them their chance, but you know, and, and I, I don't think we can talk about the merits of extending green, obviously with his age, but and and you can kind of draw some parallels with Whit, Whitworth although Whitworth was not injured as often as AJ has, has been recently but I do think that AJ is a determined player he generally takes he does take care of his body he takes his craft very seriously and let's be honest last year's injury was that freak injury on on that turf in dayton sure you know a low level college turf I really think AJ is going to have a monster season and I would not be averse to to him signing like a three-year extension with Cincinnati uh, but you said like you to your point Matt, if he leaves and John Ross leaves, yes, those are you know those departures would be buoyed a little bit with T Higgins. Hopefully he develops, and obviously Tyler Boyd is, is one of the best slot receivers in the game. Uh, but really, you look at the secondary: William Jackson, Mackenzie Alexander, who I talked about as being my favorite value signing in free agency. You know, if he leaves, if he tears it up, and then just you know gets a monster deal in the open market, you know, hopefully Darius Phillips develops, and you get some other guys. But that may create a, a void now in in the. in the secondary specifically in the cornerback room um but obviously with jackson jackson's a tough one jackson may be in line with for the for the franchise tag if he really balls out you have his baseline level really which is trey waynes who's at 14 million a year if jackson plays really well he's not going to accept less than trey waynes right Mm -hmm. he's not going to want to accept less than that uh, unless trey waynes plays even better than jackson does but um so I, I, I could see that being the floor of, of what William Jackson wants in free agency, assuming he has a good year. And then I could see them kind of extending him at that amount or, or maybe slightly above because Jackson is still younger than Waynes. Uh, but then I could also see them going to the route of, hey, we're just going to franchise you because we can't afford to lose you. Uh, or if obviously if he underdeveloped or underperforms this year, then I th- just think they'd let him walk. But I still just like I mentioned with John Ross... I still have high hopes for William Jackson. He kind of tailed off last year. I still think he's he's a he's a good corner, and if he has a good year, I, I don't think the Bengals can let let him walk, even if they don't have a, an agreement with him. I think they would be not happy to per se, but they they just can't afford to lose him. So I think they would franchise him.
2: Yeah, I'm, I mean, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully both those guys can stay healthy. and We can figure something out, and and yeah, I think it's going to be interesting because obviously you're coming in you're a young offensive coach and i'm sure zach taylor was very disappointed he didn't get to coach aj green um there's been the recent injuries like you said the the last year's was kind of a a fluky sort of thing um so sometimes it's just bad luck hopefully hopefully that's the case and you know maybe uh uh maybe maybe he's larry fitzgerald you know maybe maybe we get we get back to going in there and and he uh um you know, he's the guy that can keep it going long into his career. Um, yeah, and actually, that kind of makes sense with I think some of the things they're going to be doing here offensively. That I talked about Tyler Boyd being a good fit, but being able to use AJ Moore in the slot might be as yeah. he ages a little bit, a little bit better for him. And um, so we'll see. Uh, but yeah, definitely uh, interesting stuff and good times, <laughs> good, good times for the Bengals uh, moving forward. We see what they can do uh i've talked a little bit about then the offense uh if you haven't seen it, seen them yet i actually put out two videos um on plays from lsu that you might see the Bengals running next year they
0: if I you hadn't that. heard
2: that they, they ask uh yeah they asked burrow for his top 10 his favorite plays from the lsu playbook so uh, i took a stab at it some of the ones that i liked so anybody out there listening that hasn't seen that if you if you like X's and O's stuff um, and you want to want to see what the future might look like in Cincinnati, uh, that's something to, to check out over on the orange and black insider YouTube page. Um, but yeah. Uh, so appreciate um, my guest, Andre Parada for joining me today. And where can people follow you on Twitter? Andre has a lot of great information. Like when, whenever the Bengals sign somebody or make a move like he's tweeting out what the implications of it are faster than the rest of us can get our calculators and figure out what all of it means. So, uh, <laughs> great follow. So where, <laughs> where can they follow you?
1: Uh, you're too kind, Matt. Yeah. It's just, uh, my name, Andre Parada or at Andre Parada 13.
2: So, all right. So yeah, definitely, uh, uh, check that out. Uh, and we will be back on Friday. We're going to be doing a, a round table here, uh, talking about the, um, uh, it's gonna be live on, on uh, both YouTube and Facebook, talking about the schedule, making some way too early predictions, talking about contingencies, and uh, I believe they're doing a mailbag uh, as well with uh, with John and Anthony over there, and might have some other uh, some other people f- from the from the channel there as well. We'll see we'll see who's around on a Friday afternoon. Uh, so definitely check that stuff out, and yeah, I mean just because the draft's over, we're gonna be bringing it all off season long. Uh, here uh, at cincy jungle on orange and black insider so make sure you are checking it out and uh, we'll we'll keep that content rolling out for you. Good
0: day. Yeah, we're coming for us hours. you